Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. In this episode, we will talk about Boeing. All right, Hari, start us off with a quick disclaimer, please. Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. Uh, we don't know your specific financial situation, nor are we um, financial advisors. So please consult with the appropriate uh, advisor before making any uh, investment decisions. Excellent. It's just a quick housekeeping items. Again, uh, this uh, this podcast, this topic, Boeing came through uh, through you guys. You just you suggested that we look at Boeing. So here we are reviewing this company. So if you guys would like us to review a company like this, please send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, also, if you'd like to join our Slack community, also email us at info at valueinvestor.org. All right, I guess lastly, as we always do with going through a checklist, you know, this episode will also go through a checklist to analyze a company here at Boeing. Uh, and if you guys would like an access to our checklist, also email us at info at valueinvestor.org. All right. Should we get started, Hari? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so as Becca was saying, we, we go through this checklist uh, to kind of guide us as we analyze a company. That way we don't miss anything or uh, skip any steps. So... Um, Let's get right to it. The, the first section here is about the business uh, and what the company does. So, uh, Becco, tell us, what does uh, Boeing uh, do and be able to answer this question without, uh, <laughs> without using the letter T? Uh, go. <laughs> for, our, for our followers, I know this question is quite hard for me, actually. <laughs> Even a simple company like Let's say uh, McDonald's. I went on for like two, two, three minutes to talk about what they do. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to do my best here with Boeing. Uh, the quick answer is they make planes. They make military vehicles. They service these vehicles that they sell. Um, you know, com- most, most people know Boeing as the makers of the Boeing, you know, 737s, 747s, 777s, 787s. All these big commercial airlines, but they also have big presence in the defense space and security space, selling uh, you know military equipments to the government. How was that? That, that, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, you, you you did use the letter T though, so um, <laughs> you fail. So okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Next question. Uh, Becco's like O for fifty at this point, so that's all right. That's all right. Um, does this company uh, have a competitive advantage and? Um, the way we want to define those questions is based on categorization. So, uh, the first question, and I think you may have already kind of, you know, alluded to this, um, you know, uh, does the company have a brand moat and we define, you know, that as being, you know, a recognizable name. Uh, and I think you kind of said that with most people know Boeing by the, the air- aircraft. So, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think definitely there's a brand name there associated with it. But I think one, th- one thing to keep in mind is when we 
when we as consumers of goods and services, when we think about brands, we think about you know B2C brands, right? We think about Nike, we think about Sony, we think about Apple. But in this case, Boeing, they're not in the business of selling airplanes to you, Ari, unless you're a millionaire or billionaire. They're in the business of selling airplanes to let's say uh United or uh you know uh or uh Delta, or in, in the case of defense and space, they're in the business of selling rocket ships to U.S. government. And so brand, in that sense, you have to look at it from that lens. So from that standpoint, um, you know, there's definitely a brand recognition out in the, in, in, in the space. However, I will have to, you know, I'll say that this, you know, we'll, we'll talk about sort of moat uh, later on or some other moat uh, that's really... Um, uh, you know, um, ap- applicable to applicable to Boeing, uh, such as the size and and just the the sheer magnitude of capital and and sort of the the connections and relationship required to be in this business. That aside, um, you know, cons- or, sorry, that considering that this space is is sort of like a duopoly at this point, right? You have Boeing and you have Airbus in the commercial space. And then when you talk about defense contractors, it's not a duopoly, but still there's only a handful of companies that compete in this space, namely Lockheed Martin, uh, Northrop Gunman, Raytheon, and now SpaceX. Uh, so they all compete for the space. It's a small handful of people, group, that compete for the space. But even then, I mean, brand does you know, absolutely matter. Um, so I, I would say this is not a strong mode. Like brand itself isn't going to carry the day. But certainly, there is some aspect of, of brand that is at play. Okay, um, let's talk about uh, the next uh, topic, which I think will be pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, does does Boeing have any network effects? Um, so, for for people who don't know what that is, uh, I think the classic example is eBay or Facebook, where the users show up because their friends are on, or the sellers are on. In the case of eBay. So then the buyers come, but the buyers won't come. I mean, but the sellers won't come unless there are buyers. So you kind of have to have two sides of the equation here to kind of make, uh, you know, make this moat. Um, so do you think that Boeing has any sort of, you know, network effects? And um... Yeah, so in a classical sense, the way we usually define network effects in social, you know, social media sense... Um, it doesn't really apply here. However, it's it does apply in the sense that if you're buying, so for example, if you are United and buying a whole bunch of Boeing, Boeing airplanes, it it's better for you to continue to buy Boeing airplanes because you have all this infrastructure in place to service and maintain, and you got spare parts for Boeing. You got all this, you know, all this infrastructure in play to work with Boeing. If you had to. You know, you have to buy something else. If you have to buy airplanes for someone else, for example, Airbus, now you have to start all over again. And in, in fact, I think this is why, uh, for example, um, Southwest Airlines is very stringent on buying one type of airplane, right? Right. Just just to make just to make sure that all their infrastructure cost is 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 sort of capped. Um, you know, it's the most efficient way to run your business. If you only, if you're only buying one type of airplane, and you got all these component parts that just service that particular type of airplane from that particular company. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I mean, we like you said, we define network effects with the the social media lens. But uh, one of the benefits of a company like 
like Boeing is if that if you were buying Boeing airplanes, it becomes easier to hire, you know, technicians to work at your company, um, you know, because they're, you know, Boeing certified, Boeing licensed, you know, um, so that they know how to service those kind of planes. Um, so it does kind of create a, uh, a network effect in a way that, um, that's different from a, you know, a switching cost, right? There is a, there is a component to that, but, um, your employees are also part of the equation, right? That you have to hire people who are, are certified and trained in that, you know, to use that. So, um, I mean, for all practical purposes, their mode is going to be very strong because there's so few companies, right? And, you know, how you define that is, you know, it's, it's kind of, we're, we're crossing categories here between brand network effects and switching costs. But, um, yeah. so it, you know, it, we don't have to get too technical about this, you know, um, but w- since we are talking about switching costs, um, Becca, why don't you kind of, uh, highlight what you think the, the switching cost here is or how it's different from yeah. what we already said. I think this one is a big one, switching cost. So for example, again, let's just use the example of Southwest Airlines. They specifically say they go after sort of smaller size 737s because, and and their whole fleet is basically made out of you know 737s because, because it's easier for training purposes. Think about if you have to train pilots and you can swap out, you know, swap out pi- uh, pilots from one service line to another service line very easily because every plane is basically the same thing. Yep. That is a lot easier than if you have to have a certain group of, uh, you know, certain cohorts of pilots that only know how to, you know, drive certain, you know, certain kinds of, you know, Airbus plane versus a Boeing plane. So from that standpoint, if you have all, if you've invested so much money into training these pilots into laying out the infrastructure for maintenance and services and logistics, just specifically for Boeing, it's very hard to rip that apart and start start from scratch with with Airbus, for example. Yep. So there's a strong, strong switching cost baked into their customer base. So switching costs, absolutely, yes, in terms of competitive advantage. Okay, um, let's talk about the, the next type of moat, uh, low cost, uh, moat. So, are they able to sell their planes at a lower price than Airbus or uh, uh, any else, any one of their competitors? Not that I'm aware of, um, you know. Uh, but you know, it's not really a, th- it's not really something that comes to my mind when I think of Boeing. And from that re- from my research, again, I'm not an insider in this, you know, a- you know, airline industry or even defense industry. Maybe people inside it or, you know, someone who's in, inside the industry may be able to tell us differently. But from what I can see, low cost is really not their competitive advantage. Um, yeah. And I, I think the other yeah. argument here is that low cost applies in, in a business where you're selling a commodity. Um, I mean, it, it can certainly help in other types of business, but, you know, you wouldn't label, for example, Facebook as a low cost moat simply because, mm-hmm. you know, even though they have very high margins, that's that's not how you measure their 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 moat per se. Uh, okay, the last one here, um, and I think we've also kind of covered this, is intangible assets. So, is there anything that you think that um, Boeing would have that uh, kind of protects it from a intellectual property or uh, you know or other standpoint? Yeah, 
definitely you nailed it right there intellectual intellectual property standpoint they definitely have a lot of you know sort of baked in tribal knowledge that's so you know so baked into the company that's number one i'd also say all the relationships that they have built out with their vendors suppliers and also on top of that customer base think about all the sort of the uh, the the groundwork that they had to lay down in order to win businesses and governments Right. Think about all the contract. Think about all the lobbying efforts. Think about all the relationship building they had to do. So those are intangible assets. I think that protects them from competition. I would also highlight this ongoing sort of compliance cost. Yep. You know, these are hidden costs that you don't really think about. But think about if you want to introduce a plane into the market, you have to think about FAA, right? Federal Aviation Regulation. You got to think about environmental regulation, right? You got to think about you know state local regulation. So there is a lot of compliance burden on these companies, and they probably cost you know upwards of billions of dollars. So for you and us, for for you and me to enter into this market, it would be incredibly hard because of the compliance cost. So, and they and they and obviously they have that locked locked in. So those are some of the things that I would say are intangible assets or sort of sort of intangible things that protect them from com- competition. Yeah, and I, I think the that last point that you made there, I think is kind of pretty important there. You know, if if how much money would it take for you and me to to start a Boeing competitor, right? You know, we're talking billions of dollars to even make the first plane, right? And then to sell it, I mean, it, you know, how hard is that gonna be to actually make make a sale when you don't have the relationships, you don't have any of those things. So that takes time. So you're talking probably a decade before you could even make your first sale, um, you know, in terms <laughs> yeah. of that. So that, that, and how much is that going to cost? Right. Um, so, okay. Uh, let's, let's keep moving on here. Um, you know, we talked about the competitive advantage and I think we, we can safely say that they have, um, a strong competitive advantage, uh, in a couple of different areas. Um, but how durable do you think that advantage is? And, you know, uh, if we were trying to uh, disrupt that, you know, invert, as Charlie Munger would say, uh, what would be the thing that would take their mount moat uh, down, you know, or make it more shallow? Yeah, uh, I, I would say overall, I think their competitive advantage is quite strong and quite durable. Uh, and, you know, they, you know, they've been around for a long time. They stood the test of time. So I would say the competitive advantage overall, short answer, is quite strong. But however, I will say the recent Max 37, uh, 737, excuse me, instant really took a toll on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, for those of you who don't know what that is, they introduced sort of new line of 737 Max. 737 Max is sort of the, the new generation of 737s. And uh, in 2018 and 2019, there were two major accidents that happened that really put a coffin on the Max 37, 37 uh, Max, uh, 737 Max uh, planes. And uh, 346 people died from this accident. So, you know, right there, you know, you don't really think about when you get on the plane, you don't really think about this too much, um, you know, but in, in a couple of incidents like this can really, you know, do a lot of damage in terms of company reputation. And again, we talked about brand as one of their competitive advantage. And if things like this go, go, go on, you know, it could really severely damage their reputation in the marketplace. So I would say things like this is a constant risk. 
Um, so, okay. Um, let's talk about the, uh, long-term prospects. Um, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that we, you know, and we also have to ask that in the, in the face of, uh, a global pandemic, um, you know, what do you think the long-term prospects for Boeing are, um, and, uh, you know, what is their runway for growth? Are there new avenues that they can tap to kind of significantly expand their, their revenue? Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that Boeing is a, you know, they're makers of planes and their prospects for growth that really depends on the downstream customer, right? Mm-hmm. Downstream customer, who are they? They're mostly, they're two kinds. They're government, right? They're government, they're the big defense contract. They, you know, sell military planes and stuff like that. That's one. And then the other is the commercial airliners, right? United, for example, or Delta or Southwest. So let's talk about the second case first. So second case, con, you know, commercial airlines, they their growth is directly impacted by just you know just global economic growth because with global economic growth is really directly prim, you know, primarily direct uh, related to the air travel. And so you know with transitive property, their business, Boeing's business, is directly related to just you know global economic growth altogether. Yep. For, for that from that standpoint and let's talk about the second customer which is the government contractors or government contract um you know uh and those are you know more or less sort of stable uh you know government especially u.s government spends a ton of money on, on defense so more or less it's stable they're pulling in about 26 billion every year uh recently uh, from defense space and security uh market standpoint uh so let's sort of look at this question from those two lens. So from the first, from the, the first segment, the commercial, the commercial side of things, the global economic growth uh, is around 3% to 2.6% to, no, 2. 6, 2. 6% to 3%. Uh, it, well, it was before coronavirus. So I, I, you know, I would say we can, we can sort of expect the growth rate of that business to be around 3% to 4%. What they said in, in the annual report is they said the growth rate for the passenger traffic is expected to be around 4.6% and then cargo traffic to be around 4.2%. So roughly, you know, paralleling the global economic growth. Now, the next one is a little bit harder to predict because it's government defense spending and mostly it's coming from the U.S., uh, you know, U.S. defense. And, uh, you know, again... As I said, they're pulling in about twenty-six billion, and I don't see that number going down you know, substantially anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that um, you know happens in a pandemic is you know these airlines, or I'm sorry, not just a pandemic, but a recession in general. People are traveling less. Southwest Airlines or United or Delta will probably delay purchase of new planes, you know, unless it's absolutely necessary. So you probably see some hit there until, you know, things start to pick up again. And then, I mean, those, the airlines have taken a bailouts also. So it, it kind of is probably not looked good upon if, you know, they are taking, uh, you know, using that money to buy new planes when they can service existing ones. So, okay. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at the next, uh, uh, question here. Um, you know, and I think this, this one will be, a since this looks like an asset heavy business, um, 
you know, does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment uh, to maintain its business? Um, you know, and the reason we care about that is, you know, that that money that they earn in profit is actually being spent to, you know, maintain their competitive advantage to, you know, and so forth. So, um, you know, and turns out that planes are heavy um, and they are actual assets. They're not like software. So um, what do you think about that? What What is their capital reinvestment yeah. look like? So, I mean, obviously the short answer here is yes, the company does require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business. Uh, so more specifically, if you look at, you know, R&D cost, what is their usual R&D? It's not, you know, sort of, you know, R&D sort of for the future. R&D historically has been around 4% of, 4% of, uh, of, of revenue. Uh, actually, this is kind of interesting stat right here. So for every dollar they bring in, the cost of goods sold is about 85 cents. So right off the bat, right, you're getting a huge haircut in terms of revenue wow. trickle down at the bottom line, 85%, right? And then from there, they spend about five cents on R&D, four to five cents. So right there, you're at 90% already, right? So you have 10% to work with. And what happens to the 5%? 5% goes to SGNA interest and tax. And then so if at the end of that, you get about five cents and net income. Hmm. That's sort of the breakdown of their income statement. So just to keep that in mind. So that's sort of the income side of it. If you look at depreciation and CapEx, depreciation for the past you know five years, depreciation has been around 1.5 billion annually. So 1.5 billion, they're just, you know, things are depreciating. And CapEx has, has been around around the same. So like 1.5 to like two. Okay. So I, if you look at, sorry. I was just going to, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One last thing. For the last 10 years, so again, depreciation and CapEx, they're about sort of neck and neck in terms of the money they're spending. If you look at how many years over the past 10 years that they spend more in CapEx and depreciation, about four out of 10 years they spent more on CapEx and depreciation. And if you just sum up all the money that they spent on, on CapEx and then compare that to depreciation, it's really roughly about the same. Like 19, you know, 19 billion of the past 10 years went away because of depreciation and they spent about 18 billion in, in CapEx. So, yeah. So just the, the only comment I'll have there is that, uh, typically in businesses like this that are stable and mature businesses, capital CapEx should equal depreciation. If they're wildly different, um, unless the company's growing heavily, you should be concerned, right? Because if they're spending more money, to maintain their business and depreciating less than uh, that tells you something is not, you know, matching up. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's just uh, talk a little bit about this. We've, we've kind of um, hit upon some of this already, but do you see any problems that the business has with any of its relationships? Uh, I think, um, you know, the 737 max stuff we talked about um but do you do you see any problems with their relationships with their customers, their suppliers, employees, or uh, regulators? Yeah, I'll, I'll just highlight a couple of things here. Customer, of course, we talked about this. U.S. government and governments at large, they're a big customer of Boeing. Um, so that's you know something that's just to point out. Uh, and then from customer standpoint, again, big airline companies with max 
you know, max accident, 737 accident, it's going to be, they're, they're going to take a hit there for sure. And they have, uh, in terms of, yeah, in terms of employees, let's just go down the list real quick. Nothing I can see on the supplier side, no red flags there, but on the employee side, just want to point out that about 35% of their labor force is unionized. So, and again, and this is something they've been pretty transparent on, uh, in their 10 K back in 2008, uh, there was a work stoppage because of a labor strike mm. back in 2008. This was about 10 years now, 12 years ago, right? So uh, it hasn't happened since, but something to keep in mind, 85, you know, if you're 80, 83% of your labor force is in union, something like this could definitely happen if friction you know, continues. And then just lastly, on the regulator community side of things, it is a regulated business. You know, airline sort of, you know, defense, heavily regulated business, just like, you know, similar to healthcare. And so you have to meet the needs of regulators in many areas, like FAA is one, it's a clearly one, right? And then you have EPA is another one, you got local and state local regulators. Uh, and, and this is not just the US, right? they do business all across the world. So you got to satisfy the needs of the regulators everywhere. And so again, we talked about earlier in the episode, it, it just is going to cost a lot of money uh, and effort and know-how. So just something to point out there. Okay. Well, um, you know, that that's going to wrap it up for the, you know, this episode, um, you know, in part two, we'll actually talk about the financials uh, management and, you know, what do we think Boeing is worth? Um, but, you know, before we uh, close out, Becco, do you have any, uh, any comments or, um, you know, anything you want to add about this, you know, about the business itself? Uh, no, stay tuned um, for the second part of Boeing. All right. Sounds good. All, All right. right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.